get a clear insight into the legal processes of the Family Court of Western Australia with divorce and family lawyer Belinda McClelland. Belinda shares her story to becoming a divorce and family lawyer and starting her own practice. Within this conversation, she takes time to talk through the legal process as well as providing some very clear insight and strategies to align expectations in terms of the time and money implications of not working towards an agreement in a proactive fashion. The podcast is super useful for someone who has recently separated and is in the middle of what is an immensely emotional event. However, Belinda also explains how important it is to consider upfront the financial and administrative implications of moving in together with a partner, something so often overlooked. Belinda is a lovely and down-to-earth lady, which goes a long way to dispel some of the myths that many have about lawyers from the outside. So enjoy, Belinda. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Family law is where we're going to today with my guest, Belinda McClelland. Belinda, welcome to the show. Hi, Bryn. Thanks for having me on your show. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So one of the questions I like to ask my guests at the start is how they came to be in Western Australia. Now, I understand you were born in Zimbabwe and then moved to South Africa when you were five and then came here in, was it 1982 when you were 17? 1984, yes. 1984, sorry. Yeah. Um, why did you end up in Western Australia? And what was that like? Okay, so um, when uh, my parents separated when I was about nine uh, mm. in South Africa, mm. and my dad later met an Australian lady who lived in a share house with him, um, and then he decided to emigrate here a few years before. Uh, with her and I stayed with my mum in South Africa and then when it got to the time I finished school I had a choice to either come here or stay and go to university in South Africa and admittedly at that time there was no fees in Australia Um, so it was before you know university fees came in Um, and so it was a hard decision because I had all my friends in South Africa but I um, I thought well I'd come and uh, come to Western Australia because my dad was here. Right. Um, so uh, I did that. that like? Well, it was, it was very ups- I was very upset right at the beginning because I'd left all my friends behind. Um, I went to university and I knew nobody at all. You know, everybody else had somebody to go and have a coffee with or, you know, would sit next to someone they knew yeah. in a lecture and I didn't know anybody at all. Um, so for the first few months, that was kind of upsetting, you know, I wasn't sure. I thought, oh, I've got no friends and <laughs> I just knew my dad and admittedly my dad had married the lady and, um, and actually my sister, younger sister had come out before and my dad had also had another child. So I had the family that I knew, but other than that, nobody. Yes, um, outside of that. Outside of that. So it took a few months before... I even, you know, had the courage to say, oh, you know, do you mind if I join you for a coffee or, right. you know, just to actually meet people. Um, and, you know, when, when you're 17, 18, uh, you know, other people are going out to parties and, you know, it's that time of your life when you, uh, you know, I guess what I was having a really good time in South Africa and came here and no one to go to a party with, no one to go to the movies with, no one to, you know... Uh, 
play with. Play with, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it took a while, but obviously uh, got I got there. Yeah, so, uh, and then so I studied at U UWA um, and then, yeah, got a, got a job when I finished. I did two degrees, well, two degrees, but took three years for one, sorry, you had to do one year of economics or another degree before you could do law. Uh, then I did a Bachelor of Laws and then a one year Bachelor of Jurisprudence. So that means I could um, get a job. In those days we did articles. So uh, yeah, so that's how I got into it. Right. Um, were you not tempted to go back to South Africa? Um, well, I missed my friends uh, and what have you, but I guess by that stage we knew things politically in South Africa were going to be uh, difficult with, uh, you know, political upheaval, apartheid was breaking down, mm. um, there was high crime rates already, um, and so there wasn't really a good future for white people in South Africa. Right. Um, so to that extent, Australia was, you know, a great alternative. Mm. So is it home now? It's been home ever since then, yes. Yeah. I, I went back there on a holiday five years after I'd been here and, you know, seen all your friends have moved on and, you, you know, uh, and obviously by, by the time I'd been here five years, I started to make friends and so... Yeah, I love. I mean, it's a beautiful. It, South Africa was beautiful yeah, as well. Mm. You know, beautiful climate. Some people say there's a lot of similarities between mm. the two. That's right. So nice climate, beautiful scenery. Um, it's a kind of a similar lifestyle, really, to here. But but I guess the difference is certainly in those days. If you open the newspaper, you know, the front page might be you know three-legged dog run over. But in South Africa, it was like, you know, 50 people killed here and, 50, you know, so yeah. it was certainly a lot safer. And you, when, you're, when you're living there, you sort of, you don't realise how unsafe you are until you sort of, you that's know. That's super safe. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, I was, I, I, and, uh, well, Western Australia is particularly beautiful. Um, uh, I, I've now travelled all around and I do think it's, we're Perth is such a beautiful city. Uh, I walk along the river every day uh, or along the ocean or, you know, I just think we're blessed to be in such a gorgeous, gorgeous um, state and country. Mm. So you're a practising family lawyer. You have your own practice, which we're sitting in at the moment. Why law? Oh. <laughs> why, why, why back then? In... Well, funny, I, um, I, I, my dad always tells me that when I was about 12, mm. uh, apparently I was always extremely argumentative. <clears throat> and, right. <laughs> and he would say, you know, he would say, well, is if that I... A, is that a useful thing? <laughs> well, he would say, if I said, the, you know, the sky was blue, you'd say, oh, no, it's not as cloudy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he said, you know, what, you should become a lawyer. And... And that kind of, I suppose, laid the stuck in, stuck in my head. But and then when it got to finishing school, 
you don't really know what you want to do when you finish school. Um, you know, so many people you go, oh, I don't know what do I, you know. And um, but I thought in those days, um, I thought, well, if I do law, it's at least I know I can get a job at the end of it because in those days. UWA was the only law school, yeah. and so they were only producing 200 you know, <laughs> graduates a year, and there was a shortage of lawyers, so right. you knew you were going to get a job. So I thought, well, so it's a I, prudent decision on one hand. I can do that, and if something else comes along uh, you know, that, I, that I really want to do, well, I can always do that, but at least in the meantime, at least be doing something rather yes. than doing nothing. Uh, right. So that was my thinking. Um, and so, and then... In fact, I did law for two years and then decided I hated it. Really? After UWA? After UWA, I got my articles and then... Um, and then the, So your first year's articles, you're not really a lawyer. The second year is what they call a restricted practice year. So you're not allowed to go out on your own yet. Um, and anyway, I, I, I don't think I was happy with the firm that I was in. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, I just thought, oh, I think it was also the whole change from uni where you've got six weeks off over, you know, so <laughs> many holidays and this business of suddenly working full time, time. 8.30 to and only four weeks annual leave a year, what you know, that? it was just, oh, no, I thought I can't, you know, I can't do this. So I did, I just gave up and um, admittedly I went on to social security for three months and... Um, and then I was offered a job in a settlement agency. Mm. And I thought, okay, I'll do that. Um, settlement as in building? Yeah, just buying and selling houses, you know, when you go to a settlement agent for, yeah. uh, as I say, when you buy a house. So did that. It was quite straightforward. It was okay. Um, but then I was offered a position in another firm. And I thought, okay, I'll give it one more chance because it seemed such a waste of, you know, yeah. getting a law degree to... Um, and that firm was a lot nicer, um, but I was doing commercial conveyancing. And I guess that was the other thing, is really dry. <laughs> um, and so, and in fact, that firm, there wasn't a lot of work. So sort of, I could see that I was never really gonna go anywhere. I was just doing debt recovery and that sort of thing. So, um, and then I was offered a job at a family law firm. Mm. and it was just uh, so interesting and I thought wow this is this is me mm. um, I like this dealing with people dealing with you know um, not well, well in fact the funny thing is that you with all that commercial conveyancing background that I had yes. uh, you realize the, how very useful that is when you're doing family law because you're dealing with people's finances so you need to know what you know companies are and what trusts are and you know you need to know the processes of conveyancing and everything anyway so it was a really handy background mm. to have but if we could just go back to sort of uni articles and things like that it, and from an outsider looking in you always hear that it's it's hard work great and slogged and is it really hard work <laughs> um well, look, or is it just I, like any other well, I, I never, I was never really striving to be an A student. So, right. um, and the first year or two, of course, it was kind of hard work because mm. I was doing economics and maths and, um, 
and I had no friends anyway, so <laughs> I spent all my time at uni and, and kind of, because you, you had to get good marks in that first year of a different degree before you could even get into law. Right. So, um, and I <clears> did manage to get an A in maths and, and got in, and I worked hard that year. But then the next year, because um, you're there for a long slog, and at the beginning, you yeah, go to every lecture, do all the work, but you realise how much less you have to do right. <laughs> as the years go by and you know what lectures you can miss mm. and which lectures, you know. And so I had a lot of fun, really, at uni. Uh, yeah. I wasn't, I didn't do a lot of um, summer work at law firms or anything like that. I, I had a job part-time doing mm. stacking shelves, but the rest of it was, you know, it's a nice age to be and not have a full-time job and, and have fun. Yeah, mm. so I, I guess... Yeah, I, 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 I think it's anyone can really do it. It's not that yeah. hard, no. Right. Because uh, mm, it always seems like something that's clouded in mystique. And... Yeah. No, in fact, I mean, you only have a few contact hours a week, and and I wouldn't say I'm some sort of you know particularly brainy person, but it's no, I, I, I don't think it's as hard as they make out. No. Right. No. <laughs> so you went through the conveyancing and then an opportunity came up in in family law. Um, you mentioned earlier on that it was it was more appealing the people aspect. Yes. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Um, yeah. Well, um, of course when you when you're helping somebody through a breakup, um, you have to sit down and you really have to find out everything about their lives. Um, so the sorts of things that nobody would ever tell you in a pub kind of thing as a yeah. friend, if you know what I mean. Uh, you, in fact, you find out the things that they would never even tell their friends yes. um, because they want to get advice from you. So you find out you know, what they earn, how they run their, their finances, what they own. Um, you know, I suppose, so you find, and then, so you find out a lot about them, their children, their marriage, how long they've been married for. Um, and the first question is, is never, you know, oh, and why did you, why did you split up with a person? Mm. You first need to find out all of the circumstances anyway. Yeah. And, and in fact, the reason that they broke up with a person is not even relevant yeah. to their claim for property settlement. Yeah. Or, and of course, we also deal with, parenting arrangements, so children. Yeah. Um, so you're just finding a lot out about people and you sort of get a lot of insights and... Mm. Um, you see a lot. You do, and it's... It, so it's interesting and it's not always the case that the client is in there crying and, you know, quite often they've already dealt with it and um, they just want to sort out their mess kind of thing. So it, you do... You know, I think I like to help people. I don't want to... Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like it's like what you would do with a friend oh come on why don't we do this why don't you do that and of course I've got all the knowledge of yeah. how they can go about let's get this sorted for you and yeah. um, so because all you want to do now is to be able to get on with the rest of your life you just yeah. want this over and done with so let's let's find the quickest way we can get there the cheapest way we can get there yeah. and I feel as if in a sense I'm also like, it's a helping profession yeah. really yeah um, I know that because people are in a, you know, the end of a relationship is 
possibly one of the most difficult things. It's, it's up there. It's up there with bereavement of a close one. Oh yes, uh, yeah, almost worse sometimes that if someone does, as opposed to if someone leaves you for your best friend. You know, the, yeah. uh, I mean, it's they're really upset. You know, yeah. sort of. Yeah, um, the whole world is collapsed in. Yes. Yeah, and and so. Yeah, it, 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 it's like the most crucible of the crucible De- of the time. Devast- devastating. So that's to right. To actually go in and actually help someone through it. Yes. Well, that's right. So I mean, people say to me, "Well, you know, you're dealing. You know, that must be so hard dealing with fam- dealing in family law that you know all these emotions and whatever." And I suppose I'll say to them, the thing is, they come in. I I don't feel the emotion. I'm not feeling upset. Um, yeah. It's not my husband. It's not my child. It's not my money. Um, so they come in and I can look at what they have to say objectively and go, look, I know that you might want to, you know, make sure he has nothing left after I'm finished. With them. I know that's yeah. how you feel. But the truth is that actually the best thing for you financially and otherwise is to just you know do an amicable separation and and sort it out in a fair and amicable you know so then if they're hearing that from somebody objectively you know that's how i can be of help yes um i try and well there are times that i suppose i mean someone tells me the story and the person on the other side really is a a bitch or a bastard or yeah. you know and then I might get a little bit involved or engaged myself because yeah. I think oh well bugger that you know let's sort That's him out right. yeah. <laughs> but um and so I do care but um mostly it, it, I am as I say I do feel as if I can help them through it and most of the time at the end they go oh thank you so much mm. you know I've you know obviously my work is all on referrals so um yeah, we're not we're not all painted with the same brush that some lawyers, you know. Uh, what do you uh, mean by that? Oh well, you do hear about, and I think I've seen myself in some of my dealings with lawyers that you do get the feeling sometimes that they are more worried about how much money they're going to make out of that case than properly sorting it out. Yes. Um, and I do have to say I have seen that, you know. Um, just even maybe it's just the way they deal with it instead of being I'm, I'm a real results person i just want to let's get to the end and whereas sometimes you feel as if they are dragging things out that they are commencing proceedings unnecessarily um mm. maybe it's incomp in, you know maybe it's just that they're incompetent but you know i i do think some people are in it for the money i guess mm. And um, that's not what drives me. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, we're not all like, I mean, we're, we're not meant to be like that. We're meant to be professionals. Yes. Um, the definition, if you like, of being a, being a professional is you treat your client as if it was your sister or as yeah. if it was, you know, you really have to have their best interests at heart. And when that comes into conflict with your own, if you know, you're thinking you're not getting enough money out of it or something, then you're not really being a professional, you're just being a dirty tradesman or something. You know yeah. what I mean? It's 
uh, and, and, uh, and I say, when I say tradesmen, a lot of tradesmen are professionals, you yeah, know, yeah. That, that would do it. Um, but, yeah, mm. so... Mm. Uh, so, for somebody who doesn't quite know or understand, what is the legal process when a relationship breaks down? That's a good question, and I believe me, I think if people knew yeah, that's what, I thought. I what was... I thought, where do we start? In <laughs> right, well, let's start with the legal process. What, what is supposed to happen and how does it happen? Okay. Because, I, as I said, I do think that a lot of people get into relationships without any clue about the fact that what they're doing is they're entering into a financial partnership, mm. um, which is going to you know so so the uh, okay so if it's i mean depending on whether you're talking about a, a children's case or a financial case but if we're talking about the um the let's fact just, of yeah let's, let's we'll do let's, say financial well let, or, let's paint a picture of um early 40s come to a come to a finish two kids okay and and, and you know house and, and yes stuff. okay all right, well, well, just for the moment, we'll say that the parenting arrangements are kind of agreed. and okay. so there is, there's two parts, isn't yes, there? Yes, there, there is. I mean, and, you know, often, a lot of the time, parenting arrangements are agreed and everything's fine and there yeah. doesn't need to be... And that's informally between... That's informally. Most people can work it out themselves when it comes to kids. Yeah. Um, but in relation to their... Uh, so, so when you separate, there's a few things that need to be sorted out. The one is the division of the assets and liabilities. Yeah. Um, because even though things might be all in one name or all in the other person's name, or often they jointly held, the idea is that when you separate, you need to sever your financial ties yes. so that you can each get on with your life that knowing that when you earn money, it's yours. Uh, that assets are in your name. So there's that division of assets and liabilities is one aspect. The other aspect is simply if you were married is getting divorced. Uh, a lot of people confuse divorce with property settlement, but the property settlement is the division of the assets and liabilities. Yeah. The divorce is relatively, um, well, it's a very easy process that people can do without using a lawyer and uh, happens 12 months after the separation. Yeah. Why 12 months? Um, that's just, you have to, in order to prove that you have grounds for a divorce, you have to have been apart from each other for 12 months. Right. Uh, with de facto's, um, they can't, well, no. Sorry, I was just gonna say, so with de facto's, they have to get their property settlement sorted out within two years of the separation. But with married people, once you are divorced, you've only got another 12 months after that mm. if you haven't already done your uh, property settlement to sort it out. Yeah. So, so yes, 12 months. Um, and then sometimes there's a right to one of the parties to claim maintenance, which is... So there's child support on the one hand, but mm. then sometimes there's spousal maintenance. So sometimes people think of it as alimony or mm. uh, whatever, but sometimes that is an issue that arises that needs to be sorted. Um, 
so yes it's a, a whole yeah <laughs> and then if unfortunately if they're unable to come to an agreement about the parenting arrangements then sometimes that needs to be sorted as well mm. um, uh, so the aim of course is to hopefully try and people I mean what I would always say to people if, if you've been separated firstly don't try and just do it yourself without any advice because I mean everyone's scared of lawyers they don't want to get lawyers involved because they're worried it's going to cost a fortune mm. but I would always say go and get some preliminary advice just as to um, what you're entitled to and so that you've got a ballpark idea um, and then do it yourself if need be but first get some advice um, and yeah so um, yeah so I would as I say always recommend getting some advice um, but otherwise there's lots of it you can do it yourself you know if it's amicable so even if it's amicable you can do it you know if you get some advice you can do it in a tax effective way uh, I mean people for example who own a house and they decide the husband says, oh, look, I want to keep the house and pay you out to the wife. If they, uh, if they don't get advice and they try and do that between themselves, they probably end up paying stamp duty on mm. the transfer of the house from jointly into the one person's name. Yeah. Whereas if they just did an application for consent orders, then there's an exemption from stamp duty. So What's they the, think... What are the consent orders? Cons so in other words... Um, so when you when you reach agreement about what it, how how the assets and liabilities are to be divided between you, mm -hmm. um, then to make that agreement a final agreement, so that neither of you can come back later down the track for another bite of the cherry, yeah, uh, you have to uh, either get court orders that say it's finished, yes. or there is another way called a binding financial agreement, which is a contract. But it also has the effect of finalising things. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the point is, any property transfers that are done either pursuant to a binding financial agreement or consent orders is free of stamp duty. So right. people think they're saving themselves money by right. just doing it between themselves. But meanwhile, the transfer they could have saved themselves ten thousand dollars just on stamp duty. Yes, you know what I mean. Um, and. And the other thing is also this business of finalising it. So sometimes people think, oh, we'll just sell the house, we'll divide up the proceeds between us and both go on with our lives. Not realising that that doesn't finish things. And the, one of the parties might get a girlfriend or a boyfriend who knows the process and says, well, you didn't get your suit. You didn't get enough. You didn't get any super out of that person, or you, you know, you could have got more. So five years down the track, they put in a claim, and mm. if you'd just done it the proper way at the beginning, they wouldn't have been able to make a claim. So you know, it is. I think people don't hesitate to go to a puts doctor. Like a, yeah, it puts like a book, book stuff on the end of it, doesn't it? It puts like finish. That's right. So. Um, as I say, people you know don't hesitate to go to a doctor or a specialist when something's wrong with them. But <clears throat> spending some money just to make sure that this this is one of the biggest financial transactions you're going to have is the division of your assets and liabilities. Yeah. Um, so it's worth making sure you get it right. And mm. as I say, yes, finalising it. Um, and is it generally aimed at 
a 50-50 separation or just slightly? No, no. Um, every case is different. Yeah. Uh, and it so it depends on, uh, in the first place, of course, well, there's sort of three steps. Firstly, what is in the pie to be divided up? Mm. The second step is what were the contributions made? So um, if the contributions were equal, you would think that that would mean that the assets should be divided equally. But then there's a final area of inquiry, which is whether or not a court might adjust that percentage, that 50-50, yeah. because of the future needs of each of you. So for example, if you had uh, you know, a husband and wife, they've contributed equally, but the uh, wife at the moment is stuck at home with two children under the age of five, uh, the husband's got uh, has got a great income. Well, even though they've contributed 50-50, they will probably give the wife a bit extra because she isn't able to go out and earn money. And at the end of the day, she's continuing with her contributions of being the primary parent, say, of the children, yeah. which means dad can go out and work full-time because he doesn't have to worry about the care of children. Yeah. Uh, so it sometimes is fair to give her a bit extra. So those are the considerations. Um, right. Uh, and I guess, well, again, if people knew what they were getting into when they started living together, um, or no, let me put it another way, uh, I think not enough people do know what they're getting themselves into when they move in together. Mm. It's all fun and games, uh, and they don't realise. When you say that, what are they actually getting? Well, it's a, it is this financial partnership, right? So, and when does that start? The moment you move in together. Um, well, it's so. Let's put it this way: after two people have been living together for more than two years, and there's some other exceptions to that, but um, they are treated the same as if they were married, right? right? Um, but so, when you're looking at people's so when you're looking to see, you know, who should get what, you look at what they had when they first started living together, even if they got married later. Mm. It's what, when they first started living together and first joined their finances in effect, yeah. um, what did they each firstly come into the relationship with? Um, you then look at what they've acquired over the course of the relationship um, when you're trying to work out this percentage on contributions but a lot of well I will just say a lot of guys think that I mean I can't tell you the number of guys who come into my office and go well I paid for everything I I was the only one working you know all she did was stay at home look after the kids but I'm the one that paid for everything mm. uh, and you know this is my house and they don't realize that the courts are not going to see it that way, that her contributions of being the homemaker, you know, I'm talking about the traditional kind yeah, of yeah. family setup, is considered equal to you being, you know, being the one out earning. And the other aspect, which, okay, doesn't often happen, but if one of you becomes sick or, um, and is unable to work, whether it's um, mental health issues or whatever, well, then there may be a requirement that the other person support that person financially even after a breakup. I don't think many people realise that. Right. Um, that that whole thing of, you know, in sickness and in health, 
for richer, for poorer. You know, that vow is translated into the actual way the courts will treat, will, will, will take it, you know, those are the factors that will be taken into account when a court decides who gets mm. what and what sort of support the other person gets. So uh, I think a lot of people, you know, as I say, just don't realise that. So like you should really, I suppose, you know, you might be going out with this girl and she's best fun ever, but she spends all her money and is never, you know, has always got a, a credit card through the roof and, mm. um, and you're a budgeter, well, you know, is that really the sort of person you should be settling down with? And you think everything's fine when we're all in love, uh, but she's gorgeous and, you know, she's great in bed. And, yeah. <laughs> but, and who cares, you know, she's a bit silly with her credit card, but who cares? But that will impact, you know, 10 years down the track when, um, you know, the husband will complain, you know, she just always used to max out the credit card and, you know, I kept telling her she needs to go back to work. Well, you know, and she won't go back to work. And, you know, they, people don't talk about these things before they even get together. You know, if we have children, will you go back to work? You know, uh, are we going to join our finances? And, you know, are we going to agree on a budget and yeah. things like that? So, um, it's kind of serious grown-up stuff. <laughs> well, it, it is, especially when children come along. Mm. Um, and, and that thing of, you know, the wife going back to work, that is often a huge cause of breakups because the wife, because they never even discussed it, the wife assumed that once I have children, I'll be able to stay at home. And the husband assumed that she would go back to work, but they've never discussed it. And so, mm. you know, and then that causes, you know, all sorts of... Oh, I, I just see it. Especially, lots of breakups happen where kids are, the kids are, you know, four and five or three and two, and the husband wants her to go back to work. She doesn't want to go back to work. Um, yeah, just things they should have talked about beforehand. Mm, I guess. Hot weather acrimony. <laughs> just to close it, close out the explanation of the legal process. You've explained how things go when everybody's sort of getting along. If people don't, then what happens? Is that Okay, so, I mean... I presume to start with it, you know, have a lawyer involved, help mediate, or each person has a lawyer, they exchange, da, 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 da. but then um, if ah. you don't get to that, okay. then what happens? Yes, yeah, so um, obviously that's the preferred, preferred way to go, is to try to negotiate an outcome. Yeah, but the, then the, that gets culminated in a, a well, at the end, order and that gets filed. That's right, in a consent order. Yes. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's only two ways that something is going to be resolved. One is by agreement, mm. and the other is by a judge making a decision. Yeah. And at the moment, in Western Australia, we, we have a very clogged up court system. Mm. They haven't put on enough new judges to match the population growth and to match, you know, I mean, even the family court having jurisdiction over de facto couples hasn't been around forever, but they didn't necessarily increase the number of judges. So to increase the demand. That's right. So the courts are, are underfunded in my view. Yeah. Um, so that it's now at the stage where if you commence proceedings, so you, 
you know, you've tried to argue, I mean, you've tried to negotiate, you've come to a stalemate, there's, you know, there's no way, one person wants 80% of the assets, the other person says, no, you can only have 50% or whatever it is. Um, Then they start proceedings and the average time to get to trial is 95 weeks. So that's nearly two years. Wow. Right? That, and that's, that's if it goes all the way to trial. To trial. And, um, what, and what are you doing along the way in those nice parts? So what is like an initial hearing? And... Yes, so there's, you prepare your application, you file that, you have your first day in court about six weeks later. Mm-hmm. Then orders are made about getting valuations of property or other assets, um, filing of documents by the other side. Uh, a process called disclosure where you have to give each other copies of any documents that you have in your possession that are relevant. Uh, then there is a sort of a, an in-house mediation type process, it's called a conciliation conference that happens. That happens about yeah six, six months down the track sort of thing. And then you go into this very long waiting list, waiting for the next step, which is called a readiness hearing. Um, and you get given notice of the readiness hearing about four months before the readiness hearing. And that's when you've got to file all your trial affidavits, your evaluations, you know, all the evidence from which you're going to rely, rely on at trial. And then you get, then come the readiness hearing, then a registrar will say, will determine whether you are indeed ready to go to trial. Um, and then you're placed in a, a monthly callover list because every month there's more cases that are ready for trial than there are trial dates. Right. So you might then go from callover to callover every month waiting for your trial date. Right. And then eventually you get your trial date. That's the 95 weeks. That's the 95 weeks. And then even then, once you've, once you've had your trial, the judge doesn't necessarily make the decision on the last day of the trial. You might be waiting another three months for the decision to be handed down. Oh, right. So, of course, there's a lot of incentive to try and reach agreement along the way um, because it's... How much does that process okay. usually cost in fees from start to finish? Okay, yes. Um, Oh, no. I normally quote it in two, if I'm telling, and I give this advice yeah. to a client at the first appointment of every new client yeah. so that they know exactly when they're arguing about $10,000, they know what it's going to cost to get a judge to make the decision because it's not worth arguing over $10,000, you know. Yeah. Um, so when I said the stage where you get to that, conciliation conference that's sort of the first three months three to six months of the procedure mm. that's probably about ten thousand dollars each yeah. but to go from where you get notice of the readiness hearing and getting everything ready and actually going to trial that part's probably between forty and fifty thousand dollars per person wow. so and of course these are um, very modest quotes depending I was just talking when you came in with a client just on another matter altogether but for her matter and she's not my client um, and I'm not the husband I'm acting for a third party but anyway uh, where she spent $340,000 wow. going to trial so 
it's you know I'm just talking your average house and two cars kind of case yeah. If that gets to trial, but it's not. Yeah, it can be. The maths don't stack up. Do no, so that's uh, yeah. So I mean, obviously, when there's millions of dollars, you know, when people people don't yeah. spend three hundred thousand unless they've got three hundred thousand, and that there's yeah. a couple of million, you know, worth arguing over. I guess. Yes. But um, yeah, so it's exorbitant, and it's really should be an option of last resort, mm. um, and you know for us normal people. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the funny thing is that when you know how long it takes and you know how much it costs, um, there's a, a barrister once said to me, and I've always said this to clients as, since I heard it because I thought it's so true. He said, the only people that go to trial are people that are either mad, bad, or greedy. And sometimes all three. Because bad, most... Bad. Or greedy because most people can work it out you know it, it's not that hard mm. even if your lawyer is saying you're entitled to 60% and the husband is saying no I'm only going to give you 50% well it, it, it doesn't take you too mm. much to work out that the 10% you're arguing over is only you know 15,000 yeah. no, no point spending 50,000 to get 50,000 or you know so so why do they go to trial? Because they're mad, you know, really. And when when someone's mad, you you can't rationalise with them. You can't say, well... This brings me on to my next question. You know, this, this is a very uh, straightforward, logical process. You know, like the law is the law. It tends mm. to be, dare I say, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, it's like quite a cold instrument. Um, it is what it is. This is the process that's been going down. But as we said right earlier on, breakup of your relationship is up there with the death of the, you know, it's, mm. it's some of the most emotive parts. So how did you end up managing this, you know, this very clear, logical, left-hand side of the brain process, <laughs> which ultimately has the say, the ultimate say in the matter, because if people don't agree, then we're off to court and somebody else is going to make a decision. Mm. How do you reconcile and manage the fact that people are probably fired up out the right-hand side of their brain and hugely emotional? Mm. He's a wanker, she did this, he did that, they mm. screwed, so, you know, all the business. How, how, how do you manage the two? Because um, that's got to be the skill of your job. Yes, that's right. So and Probably why it's more fun than building conveyance. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I was saying before about some some lawyers, uh, well, especially in family law, this is, this is my difficulty with some lawyers, is that they take advantage of the fact that their client is upset and angry, mm. and they can sometimes feed it, you know, right. because that means that the client's not going to want to settle, and they, yes, let's go, you know. Um, so yes, my I feel my job as a professional is, is, and especially in family law, is to try and take the heat out of it, mm. and to make sure that, for example, when I'm writing to the other side, mm. um, that I, you know, you can be quite provocative if you want to be, yes, or you can keep it nice and flat, yes, and so I feel quite a neutral. That's right. 
Um, and I mean, you know, sometimes, of course, you know, your letters are strategic and you, yeah. you know, you do, you know, but, but you also have a duty not to inflame the situation. Mm. Um, and I guess with clients, I, I try to, you know, I just try to explain it from, as you say, from the, uh, I say, well, I know that's how you feel about it, but this is the way a court's going to look at it. So yeah. this is the problem. You know, do you really want to spend your money? And so you yeah. can try and rationalize with them. And most people you can, even if they're upset. Um, and uh, frankly, I do also sometimes have to say to a client, if you want me to do that, it, I, like, I don't agree with that. That's, no. so I'll say, right. look, I'm not going to, I don't think you should do that. I think Mm. Uh, sometimes, for example, you know, I've had even just not that long ago where a dad's going, well, um, you, you know, I want her to, you know, just say he wants her to settle 50-50 and she's wanting more. Uh, and he says, well, how about I use the children, you know, like as leverage? I mean, I'll say, if you don't give me this, I'm going to go for 50% custody of the children. And, you know, and then I've really got yeah. to say to him, no, you know, you, no, you, you can't be, I try not to be judgmental when I'm talking to them. You know, I say, that's not going to be going down well if the family court got wind of that, that would not be approved of. You know, yeah. I try not to say, I think you're an asshole for saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I try. Humanity do. Yeah. Um, and if they insist on going down that path, I have had to sometimes say, look, I've given you my advice on what you should do. Mm. If you don't want to follow that advice, you're paying me really good money. Perhaps it's best that you find, you know, that you go somewhere else. We will do that. You, you know, because sometimes people just want that kind of a lawyer too. So there are lawyers that'll go, yep, come on, let's whatever, let's you know. So that's right. So it is... Mm. But it's that heightened emotion aspect, I guess, which I like about it too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's um, hmm. it's not just because nobody. It strikes me that um, you know, people go, people can often go into this in a very adversarial. I'm going to win type thing. Huh. But in theory, nobody's winning except the lawyers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can carry on like that. <laughs> um, it's more a case of look, you're going to lose. You, you are losing. You're losing yeah. the end of a relationship. You're going to lose part of your 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 property and assets. You're not going to be seeing your kids every day like you used to. Mm -hmm. You're losing. You are losing. Like yeah. Suck it up. Get used to it. Yeah. You know. Reconcile it within yourself, and then understand what what you're willing to lose and what less so. And what's the best possible outcome for you? Yes. Yeah. I mean. Given, given that, the fact that winning across the board is not happening. No, that's right. You know, no one, no one wins in family law. Uh, no. That's, that's exactly right. It's the, the best outcome is a fair and equitable settlement, which is reasonable, you know, which is as cheap as possible. Yeah. So. And I'm right in understanding, aren't I, that the, the legal process, that... It just treats the separation as a separation. It doesn't matter who did what. It's a no-fault jurisdiction. Or who, who did who. That's right. <laughs> it was different before 1975. Um, yeah. Family Law Act was amended in 1975 to make it a no-fault no jurisdiction. 
But before that, there was an element of, you know, if there's adultery, you could get more money or yeah. that sort of thing. But, mm. um, but the, I, I think it was the right thing to do to remove that because that caused all sorts of problems with proving who was at fault. And, you know, yeah. as you know, often when a relationship breaks down, it's not necessarily one person's fault or the other person's fault. There's a whole... You know, exactly. It's... it's um, yeah, there's a number of reasons why. I mean, sometimes, you know, the one person is, you know, at fault in the sense of leaving the person for another person doing a Barnaby Joyce or whatever, you know, that's... Yeah. Um, but, yeah. What are some of the common sort of blockages that you see towards getting to a fair and equitable outcome? Because you must see a whole pattern of them nowadays. I mean, well, you've been done it for as long as you have. Yes. Um, well, as I say, the, the whole the mad, bad, greedy comment, if you might have a reasonable client on your side, but mm. if the other side... The thing I'm most scared of for a client is when the other side is happy to cut their nose off to spite their face. In other words, they are of the view that if you can't... If I can't get, you know... If you, you know, if I can't get the house, nobody will get it. Right, yeah. That sort of attitude. Mm. Um, and because what can you do there? It's, so you feel so sorry for your client because, you know, it's not like she could say, well, look, I don't care. Give him more. Give him, you know. But he doesn't want more. He wants to punish you, you know. Yes. And, and if they like that, I'd have to say those are the most difficult cases that I come across. And that's in the financial yeah. Um, zone. They're the ones that will spend twenty grand to fight for ten grand. That's right, and then and then of course when children are in the mix as well, that even becomes more tragic, because or it might be the wife sometimes who mm. who is so angry at, because of the fact that he's left her or whatever, and you know is 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 going to say well he can never see the children again. You know, and and if somebody's determined to uh, alienate the children from the other side, they can do it. Believe yeah. me. Yeah. So that uh, that deliberate parental alienation, yeah. uh, those cases are extremely thing, difficult, and you know they don't happen all the time. Most mm. people work it out, and but it, those cases are the most challenging, mm. um, because there's not really much a family court can do. Yeah. You know, when when the mother who's the primary carer of the children, who the children are most attached to, you know, because she's been the stay-at-home mum, who, and they they might have a, a fine, an okay relationship with their dad, but their dad was always out at work, and so they did only just see the dad on the weekends. And even though mm. the court and everybody says, look, it's in those children's interest to have their dad in their lives, um, if she's determined to make them hate their dad, my goodness, a mum has all, you know, so much influence over children. Um, And then, yeah, what can the family court do? You know, you can't force a person to be a good parent, can you? No, No, unfortunately not. Um, Question that I was curious to ask is, um, I suppose one of it might seem contentious, but are men and women treated fairly in, in uh, the court throughout this process? Um, 
Yes, that's a common a common question, really. Yeah. I mean, I certainly um, a lot you, of. You've just, I mean, you just yes. brought one up there where you know, yes. have the ability to parent alienate, and you know, very much male role is to go out, be away, and then all of a sudden they see what happens when they spend the time away, and you know, so there's all the different sort of playouts of the archetypal role. But um, yes, I'm just interested in. Your well, view, if you know. well, look. I mean, I think it, certainly the intention is there to be fair to all parties. Yes. Um, and th there's no conscious bias one against the other. The fact of the matter is, really, the um, the studies uh, show that certainly financially, those stay-at-home mums, um, even though they end up getting sixty percent. Yeah. Which seems, you know, a lot of girls think that's really unfair. I'm yeah. the one that earned all the money and now she's getting 60% of it, you know. Yeah. Um, but down the track, <laughs> the, an overwhelming number of times, dad will catch up and overtake mum again and she will be left with only that 60 You know what I mean? So financially, usually, you know, just yeah. the way men earn more generally than women and... Mm. So they are generally down the track financially much better off. And I suppose the family court does try to, does know that. Yeah. And, I mean, so many women end up at, you know, 50 years old. They don't have any super. They've got, they, they might have got, you know, the house, but they don't have anything. Or, they, 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 or they've got the house with a mortgage and they've been paying that and they don't earn very much. So, in a way, I suppose... Things are skewed against women, you know, anyway. Yeah. And then, um, so, yeah, so I suppose financially I could say that because of the fact that the, the traditional setup is that the women are at home with the children, yeah. um, they are going to get a bit more of the property settlement, mm. but the dad usually earns more and mm. is usually going to recover, not always. And, of course, Sometimes it happens the other way that the wife is the one that earns the money, you know. And yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah. not so that it, it is. Mm. Things are changing, and um, mm. sometimes I think it's quite unfair in a way because even when women earn more, um, typically they do more of the housework and more of the child caring. So if you've got a, a household where husband and wife earn the same, usually her contributions are much greater mm. um, but she still only gets 50 yeah. percent kind of thing you know so um what about when it comes to the parenting the stuff? parent the care of the children all right yes um so I, i've been doing it a long time so i was yeah. here before the uh before john howard brought about some quite substantial changes to the legislation so that before that i can say that your average regime for men with children was that they would have every second weekend with the kids and half the school holidays. Yeah. That was kind of a very typical arrangement. Yeah. And it sort of, I suppose, worked in the sense that quite often the typical situation was mum was the stay-at-home mum uh, and so the children were used to, that was the role, that was the agreement between the husband and the wife when they were together is that she would stay home and look after the kids and he would have go out and do the income earning. Mm. And so, so I suppose that every second weekend and half the school holidays sort of reflected 
that kind of thing. But then there was a significant men's lobby um, and they brought in changes which were supposed to try and even up things a bit. Um, and so what they said is that basically parents have equal parental responsibility upon the separation. And if there's no violence, uh, so that there is equal parental responsibility, then why? Sh then the court must look at why shouldn't dad have 50% of the time? Why shouldn't there be an equal um, uh, caring arrangement? Um, and so my observation once that law was passed was that the typical arrangement since, the legis since that legislation wasn't that men had 50-50 care, but certainly they were now having quite often a long weekend, so go from the Thursday to the Tuesday, so that they would have more of a say with taking the kids to school and picking them up from school and yeah. more, instead of just being the fun weekend dad, they would have more of yeah. a day-to-day, a -day, yeah. which, um, which I think is a great development, you know, I think, and I wish... I wish dads would have more, uh, spend more time with their kids even, you know, before separation and because I think that's the way society should go, mm. in my view, in my view. But um, so, um, because, but the only thing, other observation I would have is that sometimes the men will go, you know, they separate, they know that if, if she's got primary care, they, they, then she might get an extra 10% of the property settlement, but also she'll get more child support. Yeah. So then it's like, I want 50-50 care, you know. And, um, and suddenly, and I do call them this, I'm sorry, they come become born-again fathers. Suddenly, with having no interest in the children or very little interest in the children part of separation, suddenly there's this newfound interest and in wanting to spend, you know, well, so there's the ones that genuinely do want to have equal time for the right reasons, but yeah. sometimes it is also sort of used as a bit of a weapon kind of mm. thing. Uh, yeah, that's right. So it just depends on the... Uh, and, and frankly, if they are kind of a born-again father, but it means that the kids are now having a better relationship with their dad because their dad, for the first time, is having them on his own for the weekend or, you know... Then that's great too. I think that's a that's a welcome development um, mm. in in things. So yeah. yeah. Um, another question that popped up, I thought I'd ask you was because um, you you deal with people right at the end of a relationship. Yes. Um, have you started to see patterns which have? led to that end of the relationship or do you only deal with what's happening right at the end? Um, patterns. Um, do you see what I mean? Yes, okay, so uh, I, I guess you my observation... Patterns of... Oh, that sort of I mean, you, I think you sort of mentioned one earlier on when, when kids are like three or four years old Yes. and, and, and he wants her to go back to work and yes. then it comes to sort of that. That's right, so, and then plus there's also the other thing when the children are two and three, whatever, yeah. that really changes things for that relationship, doesn't it, when, when people mm. have children. And I, I do think things become not as much fun anymore, in yes. a way. It, you know, it really changes life, doesn't it, when you have yes. children. 
no longer are you free, easy, single, can you know do what you like, have fun, and yeah. Um, and so sometimes it's kind of, I think, I, I do just think that's a difficult time. Uh, women maybe once there's been a couple of children, perhaps aren't as interested in the the whole affection and that side of things. Yeah. I think that's a common. Thing yeah, that I've sex, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's less of that going on. Um, so yeah. So there's that aspect. The other aspect is, as I said, this difference in the financial um, uh, goals. I guess. So if, if if a person, one person's a spender, oh, what the hell? You know, life is short. Come on, let's go on yeah, another yeah, holiday. And the other person is, bloody hell, I work hard for this money. Come on, we need to save up for our super. We need to, you know, that's going to cause friction. And that can, that can also be, it, that, that's always a disaster. Yeah. Uh, and I do, do think, if, you know, if they've got different financial goals or, or you know, they, yeah, that would be often a, a cause for a, a breakup. Um, my observation is that Men, generally, okay, don't leave their wives unless there's another woman. Or, I don't, they, I don't, they don't often just break up. Yes. It's often because there is somebody else. Yes. And it might be because they were upset in the relationship anyway. Mm. And, and they, but it takes perhaps another person to give them to the courage to, to actually go. Whereas women, I think... Um, not as often it's because they've met another man, but sometimes it is just because they've had enough of, enough. you know, bad habits maybe or, uh, you know, and of course violence is sometimes mm. a, an issue and, um, you know, I mean, that's a whole nother ball game <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. you know, the coercive controlling behaviour and behaviours and, and that kind of breakup, which mm. uh, is... Obviously, a good reason for breaking up yeah. um, there. So, uh, yeah, you do you do sort of see these things uh, patterns. I mean, um, I, I'm always surprised these days. I, I've become so I don't know so uh, jaded, I guess, about the whole thing. I'm always surprised when I see a relationship that's working. You know, I go, oh my god, really? Well, you, know, <laughs> you, you seem to lead from one question to another that I. <laughs> Does it, how does this affect you in relationships and how you view your friends and their relationships? Yeah, um, well, as I say, I'm, uh, I'm always very, well, when I see a relationship that is working, you know, I do have a friend and they've got a fantastic relationship and that's wonderful, but um, I do think, I suppose I, I perhaps foresee problems more than, you know, yeah. uh, than other people. All I can say is, personally, um, I think it somehow put me off. Right. <laughs> uh, and I think I'm, yeah, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm afraid it possibly has had that effect. Or maybe it was just me, you know, that I would have become that way anyway, but yeah. um, I'm really happy on my own. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so, I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it never happened, but yeah, I just, um, uh, I, I've, I've, I've given relationships a red hot go, don't get me wrong, you yeah. know, I have tried and been there and I've had my own family law issues in, in a yeah. sense, my own little file, but um, 
Well, as I say, they, they say that you know, 50% of marriages these days are breaking up. I keep going, well, we're the 50% that are working. <laughs> you know, cause yeah, the, yeah. That's, I feel as if that's all I ever see is the ones that aren't working. Yeah, well, probably because of what you do. Yeah. What I do, but even, you know, anecdotally, I suppose. It's, yeah, where are those 50%? And what do they look and feel like? And what are they doing that keeps them Yeah, there? Yeah, or are they just stuck? Can't afford to break up? Yeah, or simmering tension. No. So... Throughout all of this journey um, with the with, with the family law, what what have you learnt about yourself? Oh. Um, I think when I when I first went to uni, I, I thought it was a fluke that I'd even got into uni, mm. and then when I got into law, I thought oh, that's a fluke, you know, like. I couldn't believe I'd get the marks to even get that. I don't know. They must have stuffed it up somewhere, you know, and. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, no way, no, anyone's going to employ me. And and then I did get a job, and oh, wait till they find out the real me, you know, they're not going to. And like I guess. Syndrome. Yes, and so and then as I've I've gone along the journey, I've become more and more confident, I guess, in myself. And I finally got to the point where I go, well, actually, I am good at my job, and I, you know, I am, I do deserve to be here, and it's not a fluke, and. So that's been good for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because I can imagine, um, you know, as we alluded to earlier in this conversation, being a lawyer brings a certain amount of expectation with it, you know, just mm. the, the very nature of it all. And so therefore that, that must demand high expectations and standards, which to be a lawyer is... You think... You think you need to... You know, or, or but, yeah, yeah, I, I probably that. looked up at them as well and thought, oh, I can't believe, oh, really? yeah, you know. When, you know, one, one, of the, one of the nice things of this conversation is just to find out the law is a very human too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, so oh, no, good. I can only imagine the, the journey of having to actually be comfortable in it and own the role. Yeah. Yourself. Yeah, um. Yeah, and that I, I think, I, I think I've throughout my life I've suffered a, a, a lack of self confidence. So, mm. it really has been good for that, um, mm. to, yeah, feel, you know, I know what I'm doing and I can feel, yeah, positive and so that yeah, it's been good. <laughs> so, what do the next uh, three to five years look like for Belinda? Uh, yeah, so I. I've been some, uh, I have a daughter, 11 year old daughter, and um, my care of her has obviously, I've had to, uh, my career and work has been around my care of Ruby, um, and, and which, and I've enjoyed doing that. Uh, but I suppose, so now she's in high school next, this year, um, and so I've never been able to properly work full time or whatever. So. Um, I'm hoping, you know, well, I've got to get her through high school and, and um, that, you know, I, I want to be the sort of parent that is there when she comes home from school, you know, at least, uh, you know, yeah. I don't want to be working long nights and weekends, uh, you know, I want to be a parent. So um, for me, getting her through high school, I guess, is my goal at the Big moment. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I'd like our practice to become 
you know, more profitable, I suppose. I, I'm a, I don't, well, Julie and I probably don't charge as much as we should, so we're a bit sort of over generous and we kind of, we've got to sharpen up a bit, you know, and mm. uh, <laughs> I don't, don't want to put clients off ever coming to me, to me, but yeah, you know, we, we should be a, a little bit less generous and soft with people. <laughs> what do you do to keep yourself? grounded in all of this you know, it's quite yeah. a yeah um well ruby my daughter brings me down yeah. <laughs> you know being a parent um what i discovered uh, a few years ago because what i was doing is i mean you know i would get a bit frazzled by the end of the day and you get home and it's kind of hard to stop thinking about it you know you've got all these That's things going through your mind and um so, admittedly, I've, I do get home and I have a glass of wine. <laughs> and um, uh, so that, but what I really found is going for a walk in the morning mm. before work um, has been a godsend. And not, not because of, you know, I mean, not because of getting fit, not because of weight, but all because of how much easier it is to deal with stress. Yeah, and approach the day. And approach the day. And so, you know, you go for a walk, you get home, and instead of thinking, oh, now I've got to do breakfast, I've got to do this, it's like, right, come on, breakfast right. time, you know. Yeah. And so that has been um, a, real me a really good technique to mm. deal with stress. And uh, and then other than that, um, oh, yes, yeah, so I get home from work, I have a glass of wine, put some, yeah. put some classical music on, a classic yeah. FM. And uh, I play Words with Friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's my little, I'm a bit of a gamer. <laughs> yeah. um, I enjoy that. I don't really have a lot of time to watch TV. So I've only got a couple of hours, if you know what I mean, to relax. So yeah. I, don't, I don't watch TV because I just, I, I have enough drama, you yeah. know, <laughs> in my every day. <laughs> I've got a whole lot of episodes, you know, every file I see, the, you know, the next episode, the next, so I binge, uh, yeah, binge on binge. drama all, all day, day, every day. I like that. So I don't need to uh, watch TV. I like to go to bed early because I can get up early. I like my eight hours sleep. Um, yeah. I'm very strict on eight hours sleep, so yeah. um, I go to bed, you know, 8.30, read a bit. Yeah. And then I'm up at five in the morning, so not much of a life, I know, but <laughs> it's getting me through at yes. the moment anyway. And the last question I like to ask all my guests is, um, you know, based on much of what we've talked about today, if you could take um, a little nugget of information <sighs> and, and load it up into the collective consciousness so everybody just got it, what would that be? <sighs> Um, I think you described it as an aha moment. Um, that, that's a really difficult question to put it all into one. As I said, I've had little things that happen as I go that I think, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, the... Um, oh, Bryn. Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, I think, as I said, the, the thing about um, realising that you can be happy on your own, you know, that yeah. you don't 
I suppose just working out that when I finally realised I'm on my own, I don't have to have a partner to make me happy. You know, right. I'm not saying you can't be happy with a partner, but the only person that's going to make you happy is you. Yes. And that, um, that to me is, is really important. Um, for, well, it's been huge for me. Yes. It's really taken, it's such a relief actually yeah. <laughs> to, you know, not that you, you can, you don't have to have a partner. You don't, and, and the partner's never going to make you happy either. No. It's only you that's going to make you happy. And so that was, yeah. for me, that's been a huge thing for my life anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that. I don't know. Yeah, that's not for everyone, but... Uh, no, and, I, you know, I've spoken to relationship counsellors on the podcast before who said something similar within the relationship itself, that it's not, you know, to, to look to the other to make you happy yeah. is, is a route. To worry. But, um, it's never going to work. It's yeah. Never gonna work. Uh, so, but the, the problem with me is that I realise I'm so bloody happy on my own that <laughs> I just I don't even I can sort of I don't even think I want to have a relationship yeah. with, with anyone because I don't want to spoil how, how good it is at the moment. <laughs> if people want to come and find you, where do they find you? Um. Well, the am I allowed to say the name of yeah, the firm? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. so it's um, McClelland Lawyers, um, yeah. which is just me and Julie. But um, McClelland is uh, just they can Google it. I've got a website. Yeah. Um, most of the people that come to see me is word of mouth, so yeah. that's that's how we generally get work. But if I get any <laughs> clients through this, that'll be wonderful. Belinda, uh, thank you very much for your time. It's been um, fascinating to hear how this all works from the other side uh-huh. and, and, and just to listen to your wealth of experience and, and you know, the patterns that you must see. Mm-hmm. It's, been, um, it's been great. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Brendan. It's been great to talk to you too. Okay. <laughs> thank you.